open our Bible to the book of uh, Psalms. Psalm 119 is where we're going to continue. Psalm 119, and I want to do a quick review over what we studied last week. Last week we studied about uh, the, the phrase, quicken me, which occurs in Psalm 119 uh, a number of times, uh, probably 10 or 12 times, and we, uh, we looked at some of those verses, and uh, I want to look at verse number 25 to kind of begin. We skipped this verse uh, last week, so we'll look at verse number 25 to get this idea. And uh, before I read it, just a few other things. Um, remember that Psalm 119 is, is a psalm that primarily covers the believer's personal uh, kind of spiritual walk with God. It's an expression of his walk with God and especially how he relates to and is impacted by uh, God's written word. And so most of what we find in Psalm 119 deals with that kind of private, personal fellowship with the Lord and how, how, how these things about God's Word affect our lives. And uh, so we can, we can deeply relate to what's in this psalm because it, is, it deals with our personal spiritual lives and it's, it's something that many things in this psalm are things that we feel ourselves, both the good and the bad, the positive and the negative. So let's look at verse number 25, just to kind of reiterate some of the things we've uh, studied. Verse number 25 says, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Now what kind of picture does that bring to your mind when you talk about, when, when you think of one's soul cleaving to the dust? What, what, what is the, the mental picture there that's, that's being conveyed? Death. You know, you think about the dust, the dirt. You know, you think of someone laying on the ground or laying even in the ground. Uh, the idea of death, even in the, uh, in the Old Testament, what you find is when some terrible thing happened, what would, uh, you would find people, sometimes you would find them rending their clothes, tearing their clothes, and then other times you would find them wearing sackcloth and ashes, right? You, and that seems so unusual to us to walk around in burlap or something, but uh, but that's what they would do as a sign of mourning. But there was one other thing that you often find people do in times of distress. What was that? Anybody want to take a stab at it? It's kind of in, in this vein. They would take dirt and they would throw it on their head. They would cast it up on top of themselves, which is kind of an unusual thing. But the, the idea is I'm dead. The idea is I'm dead and buried. Throw the dirt on me, you know. Um, and so that's what the, the idea of quicken, it, and we talked about this, how the word quicken implies death. It implies death. You can't be quickened unless you're dead. To be quickened means you're dead and you need to be made alive, which is what the word means. So let's pray and then we will uh, continue our study on the, the term quicken me. Our Lord in heaven, how we need your help today. Uh, Lord, as we meet together, Lord, each one of us to some degree or another, no doubt, needs your quickening. I know that I need you to quicken me and, 
and make my uh, spiritual uh, perceptions and senses to be just alive and ready to hear, ready to listen, ready to receive what you have uh, for me today. And I pray that likewise you would do the same for your people here this morning. Lord, I ask your blessing upon each one of us as we study the Word, that indeed that you would teach us. It would not just be us reading the Bible, but it would be the Spirit of God uh, speaking to us and guiding us and teaching us. I pray also for the other Sunday school classes that are uh, gathered today, that, Lord, that you would give grace and help in those classes as well, both to the teachers and to the students, that your will would be accomplished, that your truth would be made known, and that people would be moved and affected. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, thank you for what you have established here. Uh, and I pray, Father, that the what you have established would grow and would increase under and through the power of your blessing and your grace and help. Lord, for these people that are sitting here and maybe those that are listening by means of the Internet, I ask you, Father, to speak to hearts, to stir us up, to revive us, to uh, make these things just uh, come to life as we study your word this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we uh, look at, uh, as, as we review a little bit in Psalm, Psalm 119, we talked about the word quicken uh, basically has probably three different kind of shades of definition. In every case, it means to be made alive, but sometimes that can be referring to physical life. Sometimes it can be referring to spiritual life, as in a, a person who is dead in trespasses and sins is made alive and is resurrected when they believe on Christ, and, uh, and that's in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And then we also talked about the third uh, sense that we're talking about here, which is that sense that relates to our personal walk with God. The idea of being dead, uh, of course, you know in Romans chapter 4, there's someone who is mentioned as being dead, who is very well alive. Who is that? Anybody want to take a, take a stab? Who is mentioned as dead in Romans chapter 4, but was alive physically? Anybody remember? One of these days, I'm going to get the Justin's uh, peanut butter cups, and I'm going to hand them out to people who answer questions because I just discovered that those are the best thing on earth. Um, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was described in Romans 4 as his body being dead, although he was very well alive. Some, sometimes I guess we wake up and we kind of feel that way, right? But Abraham was 100 years old. He was way past the time he ought to be able to have children. And God says that he was dead, right? He was dead. That is, he was, he, he was for, for that purpose, he, was, he, was, he didn't have life. It also mentions how that Sarah, specifically her womb, was dead. She could not have children. But yet God made alive that which was dead. All right, And in this case, when we talk about our personal walk with God, it would be good for us to consider what it means to, to be dead, to have deadness as a Christian. So what we talked about last week was how do you identify deadness in your own heart and life as a child of God, as a believer? How do you identify deadness? And when you, I think this is something probably that's something we're all familiar with, not just in our spiritual life, but also in our relationships, which our spiritual life is in many ways like a relationship, it is a relationship with God. 
right? So, uh, so the things we can relate to uh, these things and how deadness comes in our relationships, maybe with our spouse, maybe with our siblings. You know, I've, I've really been, honestly been discouraged when I hear and know about people as they grow older, the kind of, if I could say it, the deadness that enters relationships with siblings, how siblings don't stay close to one another. They don't tend to, to, uh, to, to show the same affection they did when they were small as they become adults, right? That's, that's common. I know it's, it's happened in my family to some degree, you know, as people go different directions. And uh, I really, I, Allison and I have really, really tried to work on that with our kids. Now, the jury is still out as to how it, it turns out, of course, but uh, to try to emphasize that, you know, what they do when they're young is going to largely determine how they are when they're, their relationships when they're older. I don't want their relationship to be dead when they're older, right? And uh, so, but as we relate to spiritual things, as, as we relate to God and our relationship to Him, do we have apathy towards spiritual things, carelessness? Are we unmoved and unbothered by known sin in our life? Do we have disinterest in a close personal walk with God? Or you could say like this, when our walk with the Lord becomes distant, becomes, uh, becomes hit and miss, we get negligent, does that bother us? Does it trouble us? Do we, um, do we lack joy in the truths that God has designed to bring us joy? You know? Do we lack energy and zeal in the way we, that we serve God? Or is, do, is it drudgery? Is it something we do reluctantly? Are we reluctant to be involved in God's work? You know, that's... I'll just give you an example, all right? Just to nail it on the head. Today it's raining. It's cold. It's not fun to be outside today. But let, let me ask you a question. All of you are here, so I'm talking to the, you know, I'm talking to the choir. But, but as an example... You know, if something as simple as rain can dissuade someone who is otherwise healthy and well from coming to church, what does that speak to our, to our, to our desire and love and, and, and fervency for the Lord? If, if, it, if something that simple can keep us just, we can like say, ah, you know, I don't really want to go out. If it's that, if, if that's the sum total of the problem, what does that say about the, the, the amount of life in our spiritual life, right? W- right? What, is that, what does that say about it? You see, on the other hand, when we have spiritual life and vigor and we are quick, that is, we're alive spiritually and we have interest and joy and energy and zeal in the things of God, we have desire toward God. You know what that does? That leads us to, to not allow anything to stop us from serving the Lord. That'll, that, that's, that is what overcomes all of the setbacks. And you know what? And it's true. You know, when, when we're spiritually weak and spiritually kind of dead and lifeless, the smallest thing will knock us off, right? But when we're strong spiritually and we have that life, uh, as it were, spiritually, the, the largest thing will not knock us off. So uh, can anybody tell me what are some causes of spiritual deadness that we covered? We covered two 
There are probably some others, but we covered two causes of spiritual deadness. Anybody make a note of that or can remember? Anybody give me one? Waiting on one. Sin. Exactly. We looked at Psalm 85, verse 6. Psalm 85, verse 6 describes how sin, sin got into the nation of Israel and brought them to a place where they, where the, the, the psalmist is asking for revival, which is the same as quickening. So sin, nothing, nothing, nothing will kill your spiritual life like sin. It'll go from alive, vigorous, energetic to dead like that. That's why, we need to, that's why we need to run away from it. That's why we need to be so hesitant of it. And not hesitant, we need to be, we need to avoid it at all costs, right? Because it will kill our relationship with God and our spiritual life. Now, I'm not talking about our state as a believer. I'm talking about our relationship to God. It'll kill it dead immediately. And all of us in here know that. <laughs> because all of us in here have sinned as a believer and we know how that we can be doing good at the first part of the day and sin gets in and all of a sudden that zeal and desire to follow the Lord is vaporized, right? And then another thing we talked about is affliction, suffering, whether it be suffering in the body, suffering in circumstances or uh, different things like that can cause us through those pressures can uh, suppress us and depress us to the point that uh, our spiritual life becomes dead. And then we cover that in Psalm 50 and uh, I mean Psalm 119 verse 50 and Psalm 119 107 and also Psalm 143. And the last thing we talked about last week was the deadness as a quality of our nature. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is of all the times, 10 or 12 times in this psalm that the psalmist says, he talks about being quickened, quickened, quickened. Listen, from time to time, you and I are gonna have to pray this prayer if we're gonna be right with God. If not these words, this, the tenor of this prayer, we're gonna have to pray this because it is a fact of our nature that over time it deadens. It deadens. We're, we're not good. We have a tendency to wander from God and to create distance between us and Him. And from time to time, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to understand that we need God to awaken us, to enliven us, to revive us, to quicken us. We're going to need that. And you know what? That's, and we'll see today, that's why we need the Word of God on a daily basis. We need to be reading it and meditating upon it listening to it. You know why? Because that is the maintenance on a daily basis that keeps us quickened, right? That keeps us quickened. And I'll show you that in just a minute. But we need to understand and acknowledge in ourselves that our nature is not toward God. Our nature is exactly the opposite. So if we just let it go and don't maintain it, we will. That deadness will creep in and all of a sudden we'll find ourselves I don't, want, I don't feel like praying. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to tell them about Jesus. I don't want to do anything. Dead. Dead. All right. Now, all the times in, look at Psalm 119. I want to look at a couple of the verses here just to kind of give us an idea. 
Look at verse number 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. Verse 40 says this, Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Verse 50, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Notice, when the psalmist prays, quicken me. You know what he's saying? He's acknowledging that this idea of being revived is wholly an act of God. You see, when we cry out to God, for instance, when we get saved, and not that you have to call upon the Lord, or we might say pray for and, and ask God to save you. you don't, those words aren't, aren't required. There's people in the Bible who, be, who believed in that moment they uh, were saved. But the idea of calling upon the Lord is an acknowledgement that I have no power to save myself, right? We call upon Him because we are hopeless and helpless in ourselves. We have no power. Listen, if there was any, if there was even a sliver, a 1%, a, a fraction of a percent of salvation that was up to us to accomplish, you know what we'd do? We'd stand on that one little tiny sliver of land and we would not trust in God at all. It would be, I'm going to trust in God for the zero, I'm going to trust myself 0.5% and I'm going to ignore God for the rest. That's what people do. If they get the idea that, that their salvation is up to them, they trust in that. It doesn't matter what it is, how small, how silly, that's what people do. So when we call out to God, we're saying, God, I have no power, zero. I need you to save me. Jesus died for me, Lord, save me, right? That's what we're doing. We're acknowledging we have no strength, no power. Well, that's what the psalmist is doing. He says, quicken me. God, I have no power, I'm dead. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt, and I say felt, not because I want to be touchy-feely, but listen, our Christian experience includes feelings, right? Have you ever in your Christian life felt that kind of deadness and not, and, and not known any way to get rid of it? Where you, you felt it and it alarmed you, it troubled you as a believer, you knew it wasn't right, you should, you should care about the things of God, you should have joy, you should have peace, you should have love, you should have desire to God, and yet you don't and you have no idea how to fix it. This is where the psalmist is. That's why he's saying, quicken me. He's not saying, Lord, tell me what I need to do. What is the five-step program? No, he's crying out to God. God, I can't do anything. So that means that this quickening, when God quickens us, it is wholly his work. It's not something we do. And you know what? God can, and I'll give you an illustration in my own life where that happened in a moment, where uh, to me, but it's as if God could snap his fingers and we're alive. That desire returns, that joy returns, that love returns, that zeal returns, just like that. He can do that. It's a prayer for us, for, for God to act upon us. It is, and the quickening, quicken me, quicken thou me. It is a work of God in us. We don't help him in this matter. We only cry out to God when we notice and recognize we're dead. And that's really where, where, where the rubber meets the road as far as what we do. 
There are many, many, many Christians, I'm convinced, that have that deadness, that recognize it. Sometimes they're sitting in church, perhaps. You, know, you mean you can come to church and you can be dead as a Christian? Absolutely. <laughs> but they sit in church and they listen and their heart is pricked. They know that they don't, they don't have that spiritual life and vigor and zeal and desire and love that they should have, and yet they do nothing. They don't come to the altar. They don't cry out to God. They don't ask God to quicken them. They just ignore it. All right? That's, that's really the first problem. But when we realize our spiritual state, we should cry out in our spiritual state. Look at, look at Psalm, 150, uh, Psalm 119, verse 159. This is an interesting kind of paradox. I don't know, I love paradoxes for some reason. Because I already told you that irony is one of the best things that God invented, right? And paradoxes are like the cousin of irony. All right, I guess that's why I like it. Verse 159, I know, I'm, I'm a nerd. Just have mercy on me. 159, listen to what he says. Now, read the words. This is, later we'll get into the idea of meditating. But as you read, don't just fly through it. Think about what the psalmist is saying. Consider how I love thy precepts. Consider how, he's praying now, consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Now think about it. Why is he saying quicken me? Why do we say, we, we just talked about that. Why, are we say, why do we ask God to quicken us? Because we're, we're dead. We, we feel deadness. So the psalmist is asking God to quicken him because he apparently feels this kind of deadness. He feels lifeless in his relationship with God, apparently, right? But at the beginning of the verse, what did he just say? He said, Consider how I love thy precepts. So you have in one man, at one moment even, he's saying, God, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm apathetic. I don't, I'm not where I should be. But I love your precepts. How can those two things exist at the same time? But behold, they do. Right? We can love God's word and yet be apathetic and lifeless and, and without zeal at the same time. It's weird. I'm just telling you, this is a strange contradiction within a believer. How that you can love God's word, but yet as if you don't. This is Romans chapter 7 kind of thing where Paul is saying, I love God's word, but I don't do it. <laughs> you know, it's the same kind of idea. We love God's word, but we find not the strength to observe it. We don't know where this love comes from. This is why I say, this is why I say, we cry out to God to quicken us because we sense this deadness, but we don't know how to fix it. Yeah, I love your word, but I don't know how to get rid of this deadness. I don't know how to get my joy back. I don't know how to have desire to be at church, how to read the word of God with, with you know, intensity, with desire, with interest. Lord, 
the, the answer to that, when you feel that, listen, is not to just sit there and be like, well, well, this is what everybody feels. No, it's not what everybody feels all the time. But, what, to, but to respond, as the psalmist says, quicken me, Lord, you know I love your word, but I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not, I'm not interested. Lord, quicken me, right? Listen, and this gets back to a basic point. Not everything we feel is right. Not every feeling that we have, either good or bad, is right. Even our feelings must be subjected and submitted to what God says. And sometimes you feel like, and I feel like, well, I don't want to go to church, or I don't want to read my Bible, or I don't. You're feeling wrong. Your feelings are wrong. My feelings are wrong. Right? Our feelings can be wrong. You know what? God even has an answer for that too. Right? So, listen, the modern version of Christianity, and we've already talked, remember we talked about the, uh, uh, last, the last series we were going through. We talked about how the older thing is generally the better because as, the, as the, the last days come upon us, there'll be new things, all these new ideas and doctrines that will deceive people. And so God says, remember the old things, the things that are right and true, right? Well, the, one of the new doctrines is that we should embrace and we should affirm every feeling that we have. No, we shouldn't do that. We should not do that. Because some feelings we have are dead wrong, period. But you know what God does in the Bible? He tells us how to deal with feelings that aren't right. And you know what? In every case, what we're going to do is we're going to be turning to Him. Because he's the one that does it. it like I said, I, I guess the profoundness of that has hit me. Not everything I feel is right. But that's exactly what this world wants us to think. If I feel it, it's okay. It's good. No, it's not. And sometimes people take, get joy and satisfaction out of things that they shouldn't get joy and satisfaction. You know, so it works both ways. So this revival, this quickening that God does upon us, He acts upon us. It is wholly His work. He does it to us. He is the one that quickens us and brings that life back. So we should trust in Him to do that. He does that because He loves us. Verse 88. Now, how does God quicken us? How does God quicken us? Look at Psalm 119, verse 50. This is the means. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. What is the means? God's word. Look at verse 93. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. So, God quickens us and brings that spiritual fervor Energy, interest, love, desire, and life back by His Word. His words work in us. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would. Interesting. We'll come back to Psalm 119 in just a minute. 1 Peter 1, verse number 23 
I'm going to read. I'm going to read a verse out of Hebrews, but I want you to just note something. First Peter chapter one. Hold your finger there, and wait on me if you would. First Peter chapter one. Now I'm going to read Hebrews chapter four verse twelve, which most of you probably know. It says this: For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What does it mean? The word of God is quick. doesn't mean it's fast. It means it's alive. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, what does it say? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which, what's the next word? Liveth and abide forever. That's referring to what? The Word of God. So here's the thing. God quickens us by His Word. The Word of God is itself alive. That is because it was spoken by the living God who is alive. You know, you think of Shakespeare, his words are dead. You know why? He's dead. <laughs> but God, because He is life, He is alive. His words still have life. They're not spoken out and they just dissipate. No, they are alive because the author is alive and active and of such power that he can bring what it says to pass. So his word is alive. So what we read in the Bible is not something God said a long time ago. No, it's something God says now. Just as he is alive now, right? So that means what, we, what was written two or three or 4,000 years ago can still bring us life now. The Word of God is quick. It's alive. And this is the means whereby God's Word quickens us. This is how God's Word affects us when we are dead. So it tells us that our spiritual vigor comes from a living relationship to God through His Word by constantly reading the Scripture and meditating upon it. Listen now. Our spiritual vigor, our life, spiritual life, comes from a living relationship to God by means of His Word through constantly reading His Word and meditating upon it. Now that does not, just because we read our Bible with attention, with meditation each day, does not mean that we will not have times where we are spiritually dead. We will. David was a man who walked with God, and yet he had times like that. The psalmist is filled with that. However, that, that quickening will come back by means of God's Word. Now, now here's what I want you to remember. You have a copy of the Bible, right? You have a copy of the Bible. But for most of time, people didn't have that. I mean, books haven't even been invented. But this kind of book, where it's pages, where it's bound together, hasn't even been invented in that long ago. The printing press, Johann Gutenberg, right? The printing press hasn't even been invented that long, comparatively. The idea of mass production of books, that's a new thing. Most of the time, the paper and things were very, very expensive, such that you had one in one congregation. One Bible and maybe not even a whole Bible because it was so expensive. But you have the Bible each and every day. Look at Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, if you would. Acts 
talking about the Bereans where Paul was preaching. It says this, Verse 10, Acts 17, verse 10. And, then, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. Here it is. And searched the scriptures. What's the next word? Daily. Whether those things were so. This was at a time in which individual Christians did not have a copy of the Bible. They had to meet to read the Bible together, right? But as a result of that, they were noble, right? They were noble, illustrious or distinguished by virtue of position, character, or exploits. Listen, to be a Christian who is honorable, and noteworthy in the sight of God, no, noble, we must be people who are people in God's Word. And this is how the Lord describes these people who are in His Word daily, even though it was hard to do. Now, look at Psalm 1. I know I'm going fast, but I want to get to the end here. Psalm number 1. There is a direct relationship between our attention to reading of and meditating in God's Word and our spiritual life and vigor and energy and zeal and desire and love and fruitfulness. There's a connection. And I'm, I'm, I'm carefully trying to avoid the idea that just simple reading of the Bible, flying through it like you fly through the headlines, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about careful, attentive reading of God's Word. All right, That's, that's the only kind that really counts, <laughs> just, just to be honest with you. Psalm 1, verse 2. Verse 1, I have to read, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. All right, does this person have a, 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 a quality relationship to God's Word? Yes. He is in God's Word. He's meditating. He's reading. He, he's, he, he's really attentive to what God's Word says regularly, daily, twice a day in this case. Verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But notice, notice that he's fruitful. Why? The Word of God. He's attentive to what God's Word to reading and, and uh, listening to God's Word. Not only that, he has delight. And that's where spiritual, light, spiritual vigor comes, comes back, right? Remember, we talked about apathy, disinterest, which is a signal of deadness. But this man, by all accounts, look, look, at, look at his description. Is this man, does he have a, a living relationship with God right now? Does he or does he not? Absolutely. You know what? He's fruitful. Look at Psalm 119 again.
verse number 97. Psalm 119, verse 97. Now, you can't read this like this. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Brother David, can you read this? I want you to read it like the punctuation indicates that it is. And don't, don't, don't hold back for shyness. <laughs> Psalm 119.97. Come on now. I want to see emotion. Now, let me ask you a question. Thank you. Let me ask you a question. Is this man plagued with deadness in his relationship to the Lord? No. His love and desire for God and his word is just, is just pumping out, right? It's just oozing out. It's evident. It is his meditation all the day. You see that? The relationship to God, attention to God's word on a frequent basis and that desire, zeal, love, life. Right? Look at uh, Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. It says this. Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Again, this man's relationship to God and his word is alive. It's vigorous. It's his joy. It's his desire. But he's in it. He's with it. He's reading it. You see, the word of God is the means whereby we get that quickening. So in this way, our attention to God's Word leads to reviving. And that reviving, in turn, leads to more attention to God's Word. But when our reading and meditating in God's Word regularly begins to fail, our zeal and desire for the Lord goes with it. And this is why, hear me now, Failure of private reading and meditating in God's Word is the beginning of spiritual decline. Because with that goes the quickening and the life. And then sin creeps in because we're weak and that kills it dead. That's how it works. But the result of quickening, if you look at Psalm 119, is in verse number 88. The last thing I want to cover is Psalm 119 is the, or, or in uh, this part about quickening, is the result, which is in verse 88. Look at, hold your finger in verse 88 and look at verse 17. Verse 88 says this, <clears throat> Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. Look at verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live. That's the quickening. And what's the next word? Keep thy word. You see, 
when God quickens us, we're alive, we have zeal, we have desire because of our attention to God's word. God uses that to quicken us. And you know what the result is? Obedience. Now hear me. It is incomplete to only love and delight in God, his word and his will. That love and desire must be accompanied by action to be complete. The action of obedience and a tangible change in life, right? It is not enough to love and desire the Lord and His Word and His will. No, if you say that you love the Lord and His will and you have desire and you want to follow Him, you're just the greatest thing ever. And yet that is not followed by and accompanied by an active life of following the Lord and obedience to what that very word says, then that love and desire is useless. It's moot. Because the quickening in Psalm 119 leads to keeping that word, right? Beware the danger so prevalent in our day of describing, that is using our words Describing how much we love God and how much we love the Bible without actually keeping the Bible. Don't tell me you love God and His Word and that's the only thing you want in your life and you don't follow what it says. I don't believe it. To listen to people, you would think they have no greater joy than God and His will. But the life often tells a different story. In fact... The heart's interest, joy, and energy and desire toward the Lord results in an altered life toward obedience to God's glory. You see? Quickening, new life, keeping God's commandments. That's the way it works. Now, if you would, to to close, look at Psalm number 94. When I was in the... uh, when I was in the Marine Corps in, in uh, recruit training at Paris Island, as you can imagine, that kind of affliction started to press upon my spiritual life. I was already a believer, but I hadn't been saved that long, less than a year. And that, that pressure of you're constantly doing things all day long, morning to night, there's no time to read the Bible, really. There's no time to, to, to and, and, you know, chapel services, I mean, were absolutely, utterly useless for any spiritual benefit. And you have constant pressure of foul language and trash and, and just garbage, which is in all the branches of the military. All that, that constant pressure started to wear down on me in boot camp, in my spiritual life, and I felt it. And you know what? It alarmed me, to be honest with you. I would, I would take my little crookneck flashlight, even though it was supposed to be lights out, you were not supposed to do that. I would sit up in my bed and I would read my little New Testament and Psalms. I'm thankful Psalms was in there. I would read it under the covers. I would read it and hopefully nobody would say anything to me. And usually people wouldn't because they knew what I was doing. And I would read it. And at that point, I saw myself slipping. I saw that deadness I saw that apathy. I saw my own heart. It was not, it was not fun. I was alarmed. And I'm thankful that this, this little Bible I had had, Psalm, had the Psalms in it as well as the New Testament. Because when I got to this verse in Psalm 94, God quickened me like that. 
Psalm 94 and verse number 18 says this. When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. That was me. I saw my own foot slipping. I saw this apathy and deadness. I saw it creeping in because of that environment. I saw it. And it alarmed me. I was afraid. And I didn't know what to do. But listen now. By means of God's word, this word right here came to me at that moment. You know what? At that moment that my spiritual life was reinvigorated by this verse. And you know what? That totally affected the rest of my time in boot camp. And that's what preserved me, to be honest with you. God did that. You know how? He quickened me by his word. Let's pray.